So my hack isn't really a hack. It's to do things properly and set up your analytics from day one and make sure that you're utilizing the data to the best of your ability. That is the best way to bring in monetization efforts. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. Listener, that is the voice of Fatima Zaidi, who is the founder and CEO of Quill Inc., an award-winning production agency specializing in corporate audio and co-host, and which co-host is a podcast growth and analytics tool. Now, this podcast was exciting. She shared a ton of information about podcasts, and so it's a, a an area of mystery, I think, where lots of podcasts out there listener you're listening to it so you know that now do podcasts make money how do they make money where do these people promote themselves to drive business if you're thinking about starting a podcast what's the framework you should use to start one if you're wondering about sales and getting yourself in front of you know your audience how do you do that and Fatima lays all that out she is uh, being a contributor to publications like the Globe and Mail Huffington Post featured on Forbes and entrepreneur in the last few years has won two top 30 under 30 awards and also the young professional of the year by notable life now if that isn't enough she is also a commentator for BNN Bloomberg on the challenges that female founders face who I appreciate her insight on not only podcasts but business in general I'm excited to have Fatima Zaidi on the show. She is the founder of Quill Inc. and uh, also a leader of co-host. So we're going to be talking everything marketing. We're going to be talking everything uh, sales for business uh, and business owner, listener, entrepreneurially minded person. This is a podcast you will not want to miss. Fatima, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're, you're welcome. And I was excited once I did a, more, uh, did a little more research on you and the amount of uh, you know great places, Globe and Mail, Huffington Post, Forbes, Entrepreneur, all these different sort of places you show up in uh, at such a young age. I'm excited to know sort of what that journey is to get inroads into those places. You know, speak on on stages with uh, some of the the heavy hitters uh, in in gurus, and so maybe back us up to to what what you're actually doing and why are you trying to promote your business so much? Why is this so important? <laughs> well, um, I would say that back in the day, I used to run a marketing agency and it was 2014 when Serial came out and became a household name, or at least made podcasting a household name. And back then I didn't even know what podcasting was. I just knew that, you know, I was a true crime junkie and really enjoyed the podcast. It was um, my gym time listening content, and it was the fittest I'd ever been. So uh, I I was really fascinated with the medium because I thought, well, it's it's a it's a content medium that A, has really never been discovered before, and B, it's not available to other traditional advertisers. You can be driving to work and listening to a podcast, but you can't be watching a Netflix show or a video. You can be walking your dog and listening to a podcast, but you can't be reading an article or a blog. And so it was a really unique opportunity to be actively engaged in another activity while consuming content, which would increase your engagement rather than decrease it. And so I started thinking about it as a potential opportunity for my clients at the time. Like, wouldn't it be interesting if we created a, a narrative format show that was audio only? Like, how would people tune in? Would people be interested in a format like this? So I decided to try it and test it out for one of our clients. And the, the challenge was back then there was very, very few agencies that were specialized in podcast production and absolutely none that were 
specialized in audience growth. Um, I was piecing together, you know, a bunch of different freelancers, hodgepodging a show together. And I thought there really needs to be a centralized agency that you can go to that not only specializes in creating a podcast, but also specializes in guaranteeing you or bringing in your qualified audience. So that's really how Quill was born. And then the product side of our business came a few years ago when we realized that we weren't getting access to the data that we needed to help our brands and clients understand the ROI of our show. Podcasting is still relatively early in the hype cycle as far as content channels go. And so being able to provide the right level of data to justify the creation of new seasons and new production budgets was extremely imperative to us. And that's why we decided to launch the first hosting platform that was geared towards companies that are podcasting. Now, podcasting and building your business are very similar. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That is why I think it's so important to make sure that you, yourself, your personal brand, your company brand and your podcasting brand are out there, um, you know, creating a killer brand and, and just making sure that you're top of mind and topical. That's why, you know, the media publications, the speaking, uh, we've positioned ourselves as thought leaders and subject matter experts in this space. And it certainly wasn't an overnight success. It was definitely the marathon. I can't wait to ask you uh, just a whole host of questions on the podcast topic, because I think for listener who's listening to podcasts, they obviously listen to podcasts. It's kind of a mystery how podcasts work and do people make money and, you know, does everyone make money? Does, do, does nobody, in your opinion, do you think that podcasts in the future will be like books or will they be as extreme as like websites? Well, there's 1.5 billion websites out there. There's 30 plus million YouTube channels, 600 plus million blogs, 500 hours of content being uploaded every minute. And in comparison to that, there's only 2 million podcasts. 18% of them are active. So let's just say, for argument's sake, there's half a million active podcasts out there. We're quite a ways away from being comparable to websites. Um but I would say it's definitely a content that cannot be ignored because everybody consumes content in different ways. Some people prefer reading. Some people prefer watching. I personally prefer audio. Like that's the way that I listen and learn best. And so uh, do I think that we are going to be synonymous with a blog or a company's newsletter or a video strategy? Absolutely. I think that... Um, I always say that in the 1980s, your company had a phone number. In the 1990s, it was a website. In the 2000s, it was social. And I, I believe that the next five to 10 years is really going to be the wave of establishing audio. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's very, I didn't know all those stats that you just rattled off. But would would you say that every like every business needs a podcast or is it specific to certain industries? I think it really depends on who it is that you're trying to reach in terms of your target audience. And so, no, I definitely wouldn't recommend it to everybody. Uh, generally speaking, the audience that you'd be reaching is uh, older millennial professionals, not always, but generally speaking. And so uh, if that is your target audience, you know, people who have decision making power within the workforce and industry, folks who are generally of a millennial age range, I would say that um 
if you've already figured out your content strategy, if you've already figured out your newsletter and video uh, content, then a podcast may be the next natural step, especially if you already have an audience following you. And if you get it right, then you're really never going to find an audience more engaged, loyal, and dedicated than your podcast audience. And I think I mentioned this to you earlier when we were just, you know, setting up and, and chatting back and forth. One of my favorite things about branded podcasts is that you're only reaching people who are interested in your content. And so your audience, no matter how big or how small, is highly relevant to be interacting with your brand. And um, I think it can really do wonders for your bottom line and brand awareness if, if done properly. Yeah. Well, so un unpack the... Uh the sales side of things. So for people using podcasts, so you, you know, advise a number of clients, customers on podcasts and, and the value of it. What, what is a target? Like what is something, someone who's starting a show who is, uh, you know, getting going, what, what are the expectations or what are some of these key performance, you know, markers that they should strive for? Is it to drive business to their window and door shop? Is it, to actually be the biggest podcast host, you know, like, like how much does Joe Rogan make? You know, he doesn't even have a business. He just has a podcast. So, you know, I'm not asking that for, for specific, but I'm just trying to get the, an idea of, is it a high likelihood that you make money by having a show or what should I expect? I think the KPIs that you're measuring are really uh, the success metrics are so contingent on your company or your podcast and your goals. I would say that, our industry places a lot of emphasis on unique listeners and downloads. So how many listeners do you have? How many times has your show been downloaded? And not enough emphasis on engagement metrics. So how loyal is your following? How engaged are they with your content? Are they, you know, binge listeners? Are they retained users who are listening all the way through to the end of your content? What is your average consumption rate? 99.9% .9 of podcasters that I speak to day to day, A, don't know what some of those engagement metrics are, and B, don't even know what an average consumption rate means. Um, when you are looking to monetize on your show, whether it's a sponsor or an advertiser, these are some of the questions that they're most concerned with. You know, if you're looking to reach a mass audience of folks, then digital marketing is the way to go. Run your Google ads, run your Facebook ads. But podcasting is about reaching a niche specific intimate audience that is highly engaged with you as a podcast host, influencer, and your content. Um, that's why people podcast. It's to create that intimate connection with their listeners. And so um, really being on top of your engagement metrics is really, for me, the first step, uh, making sure that your average consumption rate is like above 70%, that people are listening through to the end of your content, that you're following your patterns in terms of repeat listeners. I think if I had a nickel for every time somebody brought up Joe Rogan, I think I would, you know, probably not need to be working anymore. And Joe Rogan is an interesting case study because personally, I think his content sucks. I just think that the thing that Joe Rogan has mastered is the whole podcasting is a marathon, not a sprint. He's a dinosaur in this space. He's been podcasting before podcasting was even a term. And he just kept going. He kept going. He kept going. And eventually... All of the years of garbage content that he p promoted and put out, it, it snowballed into the success that he is today. He's the Joe Rogan. And he appeals to a very specific target audience. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I, I think he's a joke. 
most of the people that I know think his content is garbage, but he appeals to a very specific demographic, which is why he's been so successful with podcasting. A, he's continued doing it and kept his show active and, and frequently put out maybe not good content, but frequent content. And and B, he hasn't tried to be something for everyone rather than he's focused on being something to someone. And he's very clear about who his audience is and how he's going to create content for them. And, and that's how he's become so successful today. And so those are the two, I would say, ingredients to a successful show. Well, you bring up uh, a good and an interesting point. Is there, because you deal with the metrics and you're following all the things, is there a connection between, I'll give you an example. So Tim Ferriss is another four-hour work week, another yes. long-time sort of podcast guy. And so I used to listen to his because it started out like a business podcast, kind mm -hmm. of business strategy. And then... He got really into the mental health side of things. And then he kind of went on this like psilocybin mushroom <laughs> kind of every fourth episode. And I just sort of started tuning out because it was like, why is he going to do so much right. on this topic? But is, is there a strategy with podcasts of like following a wave, like a surfer? It's like, there's a wave of, of something that's being consumed and people like it, uh, versus really being focused on your audience of what specifically they like. Is, is there a question in there? I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because I also loved, loved past tense Tim Ferriss and have also noticed that his content went down a very tangential rabbit hole of being very different from how he started. That's not to say that your content can't evolve and you can't rebrand, but I would say that he's probably had a lot of turnover in terms of his audience. And that's a risk that you do run if you decide to launch a podcast about business and entrepreneurship and um, workday habits and then converting into your psychedelic psilocybin ketamine journey. Like it's, it's two very different shows, not to say one is better than the other. It's just two very, usually two very um, different audience profiles. Uh, it's like Guy Raz tomorrow starting an entertainment show after how I built this. It just ne wouldn't necessarily fit. Um, I think Tim Ferriss is, you know, he's done really well with his content. He probably has a little bit of a different audience than what he once used to have. But I think it's absolutely fine as people, we evolve and our brand changes for your podcast brand to change as well. Generally speaking, though, if you're going to do that, I would recommend a rebrand. And in your, so here's another question. So podcast starts, a person says, Hey, you know, uh, this is our audience. We think we want to target cause there's some sort of objective with, you know, we want to, we want to sell, uh, ladders or we want to sell whatever, uh, info. This is who we think the audience is. You create a brand that you think would appeal to them. The podcast gets going and you start to see your audience analytics and it's a slightly different audience. Mm. Do you start, do you, just, do you just keep doing what you're doing to build up a bigger audience of this maybe not target group than keeping it sort of trying to stick to your, your existing focus and have a smaller audience? Because in the big audience of, say, younger people buying ladders, whatever, the, I'm just using an example, in there, if you've got a massive 25,000 downloads a show, there's probably a few ladder buyers in there. And you've got this moment, this big wheel versus you only get a thousand downloads a show, but it's hardware store people who want to, who like ladders. So help me unpack, like, does the brand drive things after it's going and you start to see the audience analytics or does sort of who you naturally are drive what you should 
be trying to sell? Or does that make sense? It does make sense. The answer is you should always stick to your focus. And one of the first exercises we do for all of our clients that come on board for Quill is a positioning document. So we take a look at three things. We look at their competitive matrix and how they fit into the market and compares them to some of their competitor shows and how are they going to be the first, the best or different from these shows that are already out there. We also look at their ideal listener profile. So who are we creating this show for and how are we creating this content for them? Where do they live? How are we going to target these folks? That podcast strategy almost becomes our Bible in terms of like every decision that we make after we launch our show because we want to be hyper-focused rather than trying to constantly reach that mass audience. Podcasting, it's the the shows that do the best are the ones that have a natural community. If you're launching a podcast on entrepreneurship, you're competing with the guy Razes, the Richard Bransons of the world. If you're launching a podcast on um, investigative journalism, you're competing with the reply alls, this American lives of the world. The more niche you can go, the more successful your podcast can be. I once had somebody come to our company and they wanted to create a very, very niche podcast on open banking in a particular region in the world. And I said to him, I was like, I really don't know anyone who would listen to this podcast. And he, they really wanted, this company really wanted to create this podcast. And it's one of the most successful podcasts that we have today. They have hundreds of thousands of listeners per episode. Um, people all over the world tuning into open banking content. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day, which is that the more niche your content and the more mm -hmm. you can stand out and be different within the podcast marketplace, the more successful your show will be. And um, now it's not about making it mass, you know, mass available or mass engaging to every single listener that is out there, but really focusing on who is that ideal listener profile and how can we continue to be authentic to the people that we created this show for originally. Yeah. Do you have, like, you, since you've met so many uh, entrepreneurs and people who are doing podcasts, is there any common things that stand out? Any top three productivity hack or <laughs> mindset, you know, visualization that you kind of like just go, oh yeah, you know, the thing I noticed or the thing I'm noticing the most right now is true leaders are doing this. Is Is there something? Yeah. So all of the successful founders that I've seen in my ecosystem or worked with, I have found um, th a few things that they all have in common. One, it's this um, inability to fear rejection. I think when you're an entrepreneur, it's like being a salesperson. There's just so many no's, so many doors slammed in your face. Every day is a new set of problems and your days never look the same. And as an entrepreneur, they are very comfortable with the discomfort and the uncertainty. They recognize that it is if it was easy, everybody would do it. And um, being comfortable with constantly putting yourself out there, and, and I call it the sign curve, like, you know, every day brings a new set of challenges and they'll never look the same again. Those are the entrepreneurs that are successful, the ones who understand that getting your ducks in a row takes way more work than commanding them to line up, and you have to keep putting yourself out there. Um, so it's this mentality of resilience and grit, that I find every single founder that I've worked with um, generally seems to have. Um, and so that is the one that I'm going to lead with because I feel like there's so many other DNA 
um, focuses or circumstances that entrepreneurs need to embrace, but the resilience and grit is probably top of the list. Um, one thing that I wish I would see more in entrepreneurs, and I'm starting to see it the more time goes on, I think it's like a new trend we're seeing this this generation, but I, I wish I could see more of it is understanding that to be a good entrepreneur and CEO and founder, you need to embrace work-life balance and understand that being successful isn't just about being successful at work. It's about having a well-rounded life and making sure that your team has a well-rounded life as well. At Quill, um, nobody's left the company yet. We've had zero turnover because we ruthlessly prioritize our culture, work-life balance. I don't work overtime, and I, I'm, the rule here is if I don't have to do it, then nobody else should. You just have to be smarter between the hours of nine to five. How do you balance the the? Because uh, <clears throat> I'm all about work-life balance and and prescribe to it. I think part of an entrepreneur's journey that's difficult, listener, you may resonate is. There's almost like a, okay, I need to lay off the gas thought. And so you've built your whole existence and where you got to today by having growth goals and by sort of beefing up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, so use a uh, listener with new children, child, and you've got to like, you got to help out around the house and you can't work 12 hours a day. It's not possible. So then it's, you're laying off the gas is how I, you know, kind of d describe that. So is there... Is there uh, a, an idea that you have around sort of sh you know, decoupling that belief that you can actually be successful in your business and keep growing, yet it doesn't mean you have to work as much. So you can be and be successful and be awesome at being balanced, whatever that means for a listener. Yeah. And I mean, I know it's possible because I, I work 45 hours a week and, and we are doing really well as a company. So I, I think showing up to work tired or like not having a balanced life is like showing up to work drunk. I think there's scientific evidence that proves that you can only um, maximize a certain level of productivity and output a day. And so after that, it's just noise. And so I generally find that I'm a better CEO and leader when I am healthy and happy and active and have a thriving social life and community. And it's funny, I know that now because I didn't know that 10 years ago. I was not the epitome or poster child of work-life balance. I was like under Gary Vee's spell, life is a race, go, go, go. It, you know, there's someone next to you. We're willing to work 10 times harder and faster. You'll be left behind. And unfortunately, I think it's, it can be really dangerous idolizing certain yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. and tycoons who sort of put this falsehood out there that you need to be working 24 seven to be successful. And if not, there's somebody out there that's going to beat you to it. Um, it's taken me a long time to sort of unlearn those bad habits uh, at the brink of exhaustion and burnout. And I've actually found that I have been more successful and more productive when I started to embrace like success in all areas of my life, not just work. Yeah. The, uh, so I, ironically, so you and I share a lot of commonality. So Gary Vee was someone who I uh, loved and, and I have been off him for a little while, but he was just on the, the diary of a CEO uh, podcast. And uh, I think that guy's name is Steve Bartlett. Um, great guy, but he, he actually, so Gary Vee actually was in tears uh, more prescribing some talking about his past beliefs of that hustle 
go, 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 sacrifice oh, everything. Oh, interesting. So he recognizes it too. So, See, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so what he actually, you know, he makes a call that's like, you know, about the future and that, you know, he's, I don't want to say championing this leadership, but he, he was identifying that the future might look like the average person makes 61000 a year and they are happier than they are now trying to make more. They just figure out their life of how to get more out of less. And I thought that was huge coming from him because that's not, that is not a Gary Vee uh, thing. Interesting. I, yeah, I had no idea. I, to be honest, I haven't followed him in a really long time, but I just always assumed he was probably on the same trajectory or tangent. Uh, I think there is some sort of a happiness index study done anyways. And I think the threshold in North America is if you make $75,000, anything above that isn't actually going to make you more happy. Um, and, you know, I think some people could de definitely disagree because like, you know, money definitely can buy happiness in some areas of your life. At the very least, it can give you options. So by no means am I saying don't strive to make more money. I'm a salesperson. Cash flow is king. That is what I'm motivated by. Definitely money. But at the end of the day, I would say that being successful at work and in your career and your job is like one of the five pillars and you really have to maximize your your existence today in all facets of your life, whether that be your health. Without your health, you can't enjoy your money. Without your community and your relationships, it's going to be really isolating and lonely. Um, charitable work, philanthropy, giving back. Actually, ironically, the work that I find the most fulfilling in the work that I do today is the charity work that I do for Sick Kids Hospital. And so... The, the happiness that you derive today isn't necessarily going to come from your nine to five job. And so, you know, I think that today's entrepreneurs are, are really figuring that out. Do you think there's a correlation between uh, doing podcasts or doing videos and uh, more confidence in sales in general? Do you think there's, uh, you know, a benefit to, I'll say practicing, but you know, I've seen lots of your media stuff on online and that didn't, that wasn't, that didn't happen overnight because the videos got get better as you go on as, as sort of you watch them. So is there, you know, should someone have a podcast almost to practice or is it, <laughs> uh, is it a lot too much work, too much money to be better at their craft? It's definitely not too much money. I think anybody with like an internet connection, a phone could, could podcast. That's the beauty of it. It's a very decentralized medium anyone can sort of join there's very low barriers to entry the interesting thing is in the day and age that we live in we can all every single one of us can run our businesses in our you know with our laptops at our home behind closed doors without ever having to interact with the outside world thanks to ads thanks to seo thanks to ppc but i get asked all the time like how did you build your personal brand and how did you build your network and my answer is always one handshake at a time and i think Online tactics, while it's easier because you're behind closed doors and you think you're being more productive, um, offline tactics actually have the power to form stronger relationships. And so um, when you're thinking about the sales work that you're doing, I always say try to balance the online tactics of videos, webinars, SEO, content generation, ads, all of the things that you do, but also make sure that you're keeping time for the humanizing 
you know, face-to-face tactics where you can actually get to know people at face value rather than hiding behind a screen. The latter, I think, has been way more beneficial for my career than the former. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of, I'm kind of coming back because I want to kind of close off the the podcast side of things. Is there any strategies that seem to be the best or sort of, I'll say the best, it's a a very general, but podcast strategies on monetizing a, a podcast. So when listeners listening, they go, oh, is this person just doing this for free? Well, other than maybe they're, you know, they're a car dealer as they're trying to talk about car stuff to drive you to the dealership to buy a car for them, like leave that one off to the side, but other just like raw using the podcast to generate money. Is there, is there other strategies you could, you could kind of shed some light on? Cause I think it is a big mystery in, uh, (laughs) in the world. Oh my goodness. Um, I teach at U of T and one of, I teach podcasting at U of T and I have a whole module dedicated to monetization and the different ways that you can do it. And there's so many different strategies. There's no one size fits all formula. And I think a lot of podcasters are rich in a lot of different ways. Um, I would say that the most lucrative one that I found is to to find an exclusive sponsor for your series if you are looking to monetize on your show. Um, So again, that's where it really helps to have a niche show um, so that you can target niche sponsors who are trying to reach a dedicated audience. And your, your audience size is not about reach, but it's about engagement. I have a friend who, actually multiple friends who have podcasts that have not that many listeners. I mean, I'm saying a couple hundred downloads per episode, but they definitely have sponsors knocking on their door because their audience is so specific and so engaged and hyper-focused. Um, advertising slots is another way that you can do it, which is bundling packages so people can do pre-roll, mid-roll, post-roll ads on your show, again, to reach a dedicated audience. Um, the, the, the podcast advertising space is really interesting because I think that sponsors are now less concerned with do you have thousands and millions of listeners and more so concerned with okay well what is the demographic of the listener are they listening all the way through to the end are they repeat listeners are they loyal listeners what location are they coming through what channels are they coming through which is why I think analytics is a really important part of monetization today and you know if you can show your sponsors what companies are listening to your podcast that's sort of a game changer um, so my hack isn't really a hack. It's to do things properly and set up your analytics from day one and make sure that you're utilizing the data to the best of your ability. That is the best way to bring in monetization efforts. What are the three best metrics? What are the three metrics that, that someone needs to, it's like a must? I would say the top of my list is average consumption rate. That shows you where the drop-offs are happening. So are they listening all the way through to the end? Or are they dropping off in the first five minutes? Um, if they you know, drop off in the first five minutes that still constitutes as a listener. It just doesn't constitute as a very happy listener. Um, The second, I would say metric is demographic data. So really looking at like who's listening to your show, age, gender, household income, occupation. Um, And with that, where did they come from? Are they coming from Facebook promotion? Are they coming from your newsletters? Did you, you know, are your guest promotions working? That way you can actually prioritize your time and see which efforts are working and double down on those rather than trying to be everywhere at once. We really rely heavily on those tracking links. And then I would say the last sort of 
KPI that I think is really important, especially if you're a B2B company, is B2B analytics. So being able to see what companies, employees, industries, company sizes, revenue sizes are listening and tuning into your show because it shows you it's another data point on uh, are you reaching the right audiences and then how do you from there build a relationship with those people? So you can export those lists and reach out to them for a sponsorship, for advertising, for your company prospecting, to have be a guest on your show. There's so many different ways to engage that data. Mm -hmm. And Spotify or Apple, like which platform or is there other platforms that we should be aware of that are better than Spotify or Apple? Well, Apple doesn't allow us to advertise on their platform. We're like a very insignificant part of their revenue roster, the industry of podcasting. So uh -huh. they haven't really paid much attention to us. Spotify, on the other hand, you know, spent millions of dollars on a Joe Rogan deal. So there's a little bit of judgment there. I would say between the two, I'd probably select Spotify just because I feel like they've done more for our industry in terms of moving it forward. Um, there are a ton of other listing platforms, though, that I would recommend listening on, like Player FM, CastBox, Overcast, Castro, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon, Google. There's, there's, you know, the opportunities are endless. And is, is it those other platforms because they all do sort of different AI or they like source playlists? They like allow podcasts? you to advertise. Yeah, they allow oh. you to advertise on those platforms. So, for example, Apple Podcast doesn't allow you to advertise, but Podcast Addict does. And Podcast Addict is the Android version of Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have an iPhone, which unfortunately I do, here I am, you know, sitting here and shit talking Apple, yet I do have an iPhone. I'm on my Mac with my Mac headphones <laughs> and my Mac um, microphone. But... Um, if I didn't have an iPhone and have had a Google or Android phone, the app for podcasts on my phone would be called po Podcast Addict. And they allow you to obviously listen to shows, but they also allow you to advertise. Hmm. If you had uh, a few podcasts that you would recommend that are, you know, so listener is thinking about doing a show uh, that is maybe is not the best podcast, but the best structure or uh, uh, for a podcast starter, someone who's starting a podcast, is there one where the framework of the podcast is, you know, sort of base level, a good foundation? If you start by listening to this one or two or three podcasts and see how the, the host is, is sort of going through the framework, then you will be set up for success. So it depends on the format of the show. Like, are you looking to do a narrative show, one that's like an investigative journalistic series? Are you looking for an advanced interview format, a roundtable, solo commentary? I think different structures sort of require different processes. There are a few shows that I really love. Recently, I've been listening to The History of the 90s. It's a podcast, um, really unique format, and each episode is... Um, basically a, a different phenomena from the 90s. So if you're a Friends fan like me, uh, their Friends episode is amazing, but they, they also have a ton of other really great ones like boy bands and the Columbine shootings. Um, and you're just like really, it's really like 90s is so nostalgic. I think that's why everybody loved the 90s and everybody loves Stranger Things because the 90s is such a, 
a nostalgic time period for us. And so that's a show that I think has done it really well in terms of bringing you back and like bringing a feeling out, which I think all good podcasts do is evoke an emotion. I've also been listening to The Missing Crypto uh, Missing Crypto Queen, which is a Ponzi scheme in the crypto space. Mm. Really interesting if you're into true crime or um, anything of that genre of similar to Serial. 10% Happier by Dan Harris is a really feel-good podcast. I really, really enjoy that one. Um, and then the other one that I would recommend is Akimbo by Seth Godin. I really just love Seth Godin. Who's Seth Godin fan? He's a great content creator and marketing genius. So those are the ones that I'm currently listening to that I would recommend. Dima, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Is there uh, any other things that you are truly excited about right now uh, in your space that you want to share with the listener to move their business forward? Uh, whether that's start a podcast or enhance their existing podcast. <laughs> well, definitely start a podcast that I feel like I'm a little bit impartial to the industry, but also um, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, and it takes time. There's no such thing as instant gratification in this industry. Where can people find you? I am on all of the social channels except for TikTok. At Zadie Fatima is my handle. And uh, we're pretty Quill and co-host are both very active on online. So you can pretty much reach me anywhere you want if you're trying to. Thanks, Fatima. Uh, side uh, side question. Why are you not on TikTok? <laughs> I don't know. I've just, I've just sort of resisted the temptation of like hours of procrastination time. And, and to be honest you know, it's, it's so addictive. Like now they've started making their rounds to Instagram and like, I can see why it's so addictive. And I just feel like it's going to be two hours taken off of my day if I like go on to TikTok and I've really tried to resist the temptation. Dima, thanks a lot. Are you on TikTok? I am not. I, and we just actually are, you know, basically uh, keeping our Facebook page very sort of static and we're focusing our energy LinkedIn, Instagram. That's uh, where we're at. Yep. That makes sense. You can't be on all the channels. No, it's hard. Like you said, focusing and and niching. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks for being on the show. And I look forward to uh, maybe a part two in the future. (laughs) Thank you, Dustin. Take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show, something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off or buying a recreation property or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance, lifestyle, design would be applicable, go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy. 